Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC on ESPN, UFC Phoenix, Cain Velasquez versus Francis Ngannou, and Shaq is going down this Sunday. Cain Velasquez is making his return, and Francis Ngannou has a chance to become the number one contender once again. Yeah, Francis Ngannou uh, had those two losses. He bounced back with that big one over Blades. And uh, he looked good in that fight. You know, it was less than a minute, the type of fights that he, you know, generally excels in. And uh, now he's fighting, you know, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time in his prime. And uh, we haven't seen Kane in a while, but we know when he's at uh, full strength that, you know, he will maul you, he will drain you, and beat your ass. So yeah, glad to see him back. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by that matchup just because, you know, Nganu brings that one-punch uh, KO power. is funny. Uh, I believe Dana White compared him to a Ford Escort, and... Uh, my boy Ken said that Ford Escorts are weak, so now I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, if indeed Cain Velasquez can close that distance, get past the power of Francis Ngannou, and uh, get his first win in three years. Yeah, man, Cain's a legend, and uh, he kind of needs this win, man. If he loses this fight, you know, pretty much over with, man. And Francis, if he loses this fight, he'll never, ever, ever get a title shot or get there again so you know he'll be on the first flight home to france <laughs> if uh, this doesn't go his way but a co-main event you got the return of james vick and paul felder obviously both coming off setbacks both need to desperately get back in the win column that's going to be a very exciting fight in the co-main event yeah great fight both guys bring it each time uh you know vick's coming off a bad loss felder's coming off a loss against a, a welterweight up away class where in which he broke his arm so I know both those guys are hungry. They uh prime position at one fifty five, the glamour division in the UFC and you know, both guys need a win. And only one of those guys is gonna move up the rankings with a win here. Well Shaq, let's do this whole car start to finish, my man. Because first up in the strawweight division, we got Alexandra Albu. She's three and and Emily Whitmire's three and two. Currently they got Alexandra Albu minus one fifty. The comeback on Emily Whitmire's plus one thirty. Now Shaq, we haven't seen Albu since her fight with Kylan Curran. I believe it's been maybe upwards of two years. So my question for you is, you think she comes out here as a favorite and beats Emily Whitmire? Yeah, you know, she's pretty used to these two-year layoffs. Uh, she's 3-0. and uh, Whitmire, 3-2. and You know, Whitmire is very green, still developing. So is Abu. One thing I'll say about Abu, she's got the muscles, the power, and the approach to, you know, scare a lot of girls early. Um, so, you know, she's definitely got that going for her. She's pretty fast, agile. She's strong. She can uh, do the head and arm throws when she's fresh. You know, the issue with Abu is, you know, when she gets tired, she starts making a lot of glaring uh, mistakes. You know, turning her back is the big thing. You know, she just blatantly turns up her back on for the head and arm throws. And, you know, you can get those head and arm throws when you're fresh, but when you're tired, you know, pretty much anyone will take that back. So, you know, that's one thing I'll say about Abu. Whitmire, you know, she had a decent fight with Moyle, you know, she definitely uh, exploited, you know, the uh, wrestling, so I guess uh, that would be her strength on the feet, you know, she just seemed like a girl that moved back, jab, basic strikes, so, you know, I think Abu wins this fight on the feet, I think she wins this fight, I think she's the tougher girl, but, you know, you could be playing with fire possibly if, you know, she's losing, using a lot of energy early, and uh, like I said, she gives up that back, man, and, you know, Whitmire did capitalize in the grappling her last fight, but I'm gonna take Abu, but uh, I wouldn't say it's a dogger pass situation, but it's a fight I'm going to just sit back and watch. But I'll take Albu. Yeah, it seems to me like Albu has a little bit more spirit. Like, she wants it more. She's a little bit meaner. I mean, Emily Whitmire props to her. She came out there as an underdog, defeated 
Jamie Moyle, her last fight, you know, won the second and third round, picked up the pace in that fight, something she desperately needed after coming off that first round submission against Jillian Robertson. So she definitely bounced back. She got a UFC win. With Albu, you know, she's a girl that's got a lot of options outside the cage. You know, I believe she's college educated. She's a model. She's doing the whole bit. And now she's making a return to cage fighting. And like I said, I simply think she's too mean for Emily Whitmire. And for that reason, I see her pushing hard enough to get that three-round decision win. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Luke Sanders. He's 12-3, and three, and Henan the Baron Barrow is 34-7. and seven. Currently, they got Luke Sanders. He's minus 185. The comeback on Henan the Baron is plus 160. Shaq, I got to know, would you be more willing to lay the chalk on Luke Sanders, or would you be more willing to take an underdog shot on Henan Barrow? So, I mean, it's the guy with the worst fight IQ versus the most washed-up fighter in the UFC today. Henan Barrow is definitely completely shot. I mean, the... Kelleher fight, uh, the plus 140 against uh, Barrow in that spot. The Ulul fight, he was dog money as well. Now he's the underdog against Luke. A habitual letdown or a, a habitual, you know, drop the baller. Um, drop the baller. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you know, this guy is definitely very unreliable. I mean, dating back to him smashing Yuri Alcantara and then, you know, tapping to a leg lock. The fight with Andres, Andre Sukumtach winning the first round, you know, fairly dominantly and then getting caught. And then the, uh, yeah, he bounced back against Patrick Williams in a three-round fight. Um, I guess it was a decent performance. Couldn't even cash it. (laughs) Couldn't even finish uh, Pat Williams. And then uh, he gets wobbled by Hani. He escaped the first few couple leg locks, but, you know, Hani just kept going with him, and he uh, eventually tapped. You know, Luke has that weakness. He doesn't want to get his ACL torn again, so he'll just tap if you can get that leg lock. Hennon is a black belt. I'm sure he's gonna. I'm sure he's aware that Luke taps the knee bar, so I do expect Hennon to, you know, roll for one. Uh, the thing with Hennon is the second, you know, adversity presents itself, not that he'll necessarily quit. He is a tough guy. It's just that mentally he starts doing the Nova, and he's not capable enough like Jose to still manage his Nova, you know, his Nova spurts. When he hits his Nova state, you know, it's it, it's over. Uh, this guy squares his stance. He starts taking shots. Starts getting wobbled. Uh, I mean, you saw the Wolf fight. He looked like complete garbage. He missed weight by seven pounds. The guy's, you know, body's probably failing him as well. So by default, I'm going to go with Luke Sanders, but as a betting perspective, it's a dog or pass situation because, like I said, if Hennon can get that knee bar, you know it's an automatic win. <laughs> so you're saying my boy Hennon the Baron is going to be rolling for Imanari Rolls, Marcy, Marcy Held style here against Luke Sanders? No, he's going to, you know, probably clinch him up and then drop down for for the hill hook, get in the tie-up, drop down. And my boy Browse smart enough for all that. And he's got enough brain cells to do he's all not that. not smart enough. And, you know, I see why they call him the Baron because when he gets tired, he really does look like a fish out of water. You know? <laughs> so uh, his eyes are wide open and, you know, he's huffing and puffing for air. And this guy, he's deteriorating fast, man. It's sad. Both guys' jobs are on the line. I definitely see the loser, uh, you know, back in the Indian casinos. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But I got Luke Sanders. Look, the loser of this fight has an invitation to come to the NFC, face our Bantamweight champion, Devontae Sewell, be a good matchup, get him a win over a UFC vet. As far as this particular matchup, I mean, I guess you got to go with Luke Sanders because, you know, even though he's kind of a dummy, at least he's not a washed-up fighter. My boy Burrell has nothing left in the tank. It was a very fun ride. I remember when he was 32-1. and one. It was Henning the Baron. Whenever he'd knock guys out, he'd do that awesome dance. If, you have, if you're have, if you a newer fan and you haven't seen Henning the Baron, go back and watch that Brad Pickett fight. Go back and watch that Eddie Wineland fight. I mean, the guy was super exciting. 
back in his day. Even that first Uriah Faber fight, but ever since the two TJ Dillashaw fights, the Jeremy Stevens fight, and now he's losing to guys like Brian Keller and Andre Uhl, who couldn't even hold his jockstrap back in his prime. And Luke Sanders, like we said, the IQ is not on point. It will never be on point, but at least he's got the physical capabilities and the durability to come out here and most likely hand him Burrell another loss. Next up in the strawweight division, we got Jessica Panay. She's 12-5, and five, and Jody Escobel is 6-4. Currently, they got Jessica Panay, minus 160. The comeback on Jody Escobel is plus 140. Talk about one of the biggest disappointments in the history of the sport, and not really for anyone else, just for us, because we were literally convinced that any bum off the street could come out there and beat Jessica Aguilar, and Jody Escobel got 30-27. It was absolutely embarrassing, and when you look at her record, not only did she lose to Jessica Aguilar, she also lost to Alex Chambers. She also lost to Ashley Yoder. Now she's taking on, you know, Jessica Penne coming off a couple plastic surgeries. You think she'll find a way to fuck this one up too? Yeah, I mean, she's already lost to the three of the worst possible chicks you could uh, lose to, in my opinion. I consider Penne also in that group. So she might make it a four for four. Um, you know, I feel like Jody's issue is she's got a bunch of yes men around her. Six-Gun Gibson, Jardine. I mean, they're too nice with her. You know, they're telling her up she's two rounds when she's down two rounds. You know, Penne, on the other hand, I really can't say much because, you know, she lost to Joanna and Andraj, Danielle Taylor as well. But those two losses in particular, I mean, what you expect? <laughs> you know, at the time, I guess Andraj is making her 115 debut. So I guess, let me not, let me take that back. But, uh, you know... We see what Andrade is doing now. She's only lost one fight in that weight class, too, Joanna. And, you know, uh, Penay definitely sustained that damage. I mean, she's got a great chin. I mean, a lot of chicks. I mean, I saw Andrade KO her last opponent, too, so I, I do give uh, Penay's chin, you know, uh, some good credit. And then uh, the Danielle Taylor fight. Look, Danielle Taylor's a very hard girl to fight. No one 30-27s Danielle Taylor. Not even Wiley Zhang. Or J.J. Aldridge. So, you know, uh it's a tough matchup. It was very close. I mean, you know, Daniel Taylor definitely won, but it was a close two to one round fight. You know, the fight was definitely up for grabs within the last couple of minutes or so. So, you know, I would definitely say Penne, at least on paper, has a lot more, you know, going for it than Jody Escobar. When you lose to Alex Chambers, you know, Inside a, the ch distance. a chick that, you know, I'd probably see, you know, Picking up the kids from the YMCA, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the in the in the Odyssey, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, and then you lose to Yoder. Yoder's a nice girl, you know, but Yoder actually did win her last fight, even though I thought she lost that fight. Uh, and then uh, who else? Oh yeah, and then Jessica Aguilar, who gets smoked in every fight. And, you know, but you lost to her. So, you know, I think Escobel had, has had every opportunity, you know, to, to get a UFC win. And uh, she hasn't been able to manage that. Jessica Penney should probably never be lying this high. You know, uh, she is 35 years old. She is coming off uh, allegedly altering her DNA. Um, <laughs> you know, so, she was that deep into so the game. this chick was definitely possibly in some, some serious, uh, you know, steroid usage. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know. Personally, I'm a, I'm gonna sit back and uh, let the two cans fight. But uh, you know, from a betting perspective, a dog or pass situation. You know, if you can forgive Jody for that uh, Aguilar fight, you know, I would say you know, sure, Panay shouldn't be lying that high. But I'm gonna go with Panay just because I would never pick Jody Escobar in a fight. 
So you don't want to put one unit on Panay <laughs> to win like 0. 0.63 or something? No, not at all. <laughs> Look, as far as this fight's concerned, and you know, it's one thing to take an L betting on someone, but the way Jody's coaches were gassing her up before that last fight, you hear this interview with Brandon Sixgun Gibson, he's talking about how, you know, he coaches John Jones, he coaches all these great fighters, but the most improved fighter he's ever seen is Jody Escobar. The gains she's making, all this shit. And then she goes out there and gets 30-27 by Jessica Aguilar. I was like, wow, you, you're you a fraud, Six-Gun. Like, why'd you lie to me? You know what I mean? So I'm never going to... That's gonna... why Jackson Winklejohn has a 20% win rate. <laughs> and I, I think that's being kind. I think it's more like 15%. But, uh... <laughs> You know, I just, uh, I will never trust anything they say ever again about Jody Escobel. You know, they, they duped us, bro. It was uh, it was really embarrassing. We knew after the first minute, oh, wow, uh, this person, you know. So whatever, man. It's in the past now. But as far as Jessica Panay, I mean, she only got smoked by Jessica Andrade and Joanna and Jacek. There's no shame in that. I know she had to get plastic surgery after each of those fights. I know that she was never the same. I know she altered her biological passport, whatever that means. So... You know, and and uh, she uh, she broke up with my boy Teco, so she's been going through some shit outside the cage. I'm gonna still go with Jessica Penne here. I will never pick Jody Escobel ever again, even against Hannah Cyphers. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Scotty, he's 12 and two, and Nick Lentz is 29 nine and two. And currently, they got Scott Holtzman minus 175. The comeback on Nick the Carney Lentz is plus 155. Both these guys coming off very impressive knockout victories. Now my question is, who takes that next step towards the top 20? Yeah, Scotty looked real good his last fight. He beat a 15-1 and guy who had only lost to Tyson Moff. You know, Lentz kind of had that cupcake against uh, Gray Maynard, but people weren't fully convinced he was, you know, a lock in that fight. So props to Lentz for uh, treating Gray accordingly. Uh, before that, you know, Lentz had that fight Tamor. Before that, Will Brooks. Um Lentz is always the same guy. He's tough. He can take a beating. He's very durable. Great chin. I don't think he's ever been knocked out, like, with, like, actually, you know, out, out. He's, I know he's got a, because uh, his eyes swelled up in the Evan Dunham fight. And uh, Charles dropped him as well. Scotty looked good as his last fight. You know, going into that fight, Scotty, you know, it seemed like he was getting better fight to fight. But, you know, the hole in Holtzman's game was always his takedown defense. And it was, you know, can you trust him against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt that gets a shit ton of takedowns? And, uh, you know, he stuffed it. But, you know, I think it was more so because Alan Patrick, you know, got caught up out there on the feet, out there in open space with Holtzman. He, you know, he's very wild. He overextends on his left hand. And, you know, Holtzman was just picking up on a couple things. And he capitalized well. And he embarrassed uh, he embarrassed me. <laughs> Ground and pounded him and knocked him out. A 15-1 guy. You know, Holtzman, I do think he's getting better. I think uh, Lentz is going to test his grappling to see, you know, uh, you know, the traditional wrestling grappling style to see where that's finally at you know because like i said that is something holtzman has struggled with in the past but you know i feel like lentz uh you know on the feet i feel like lentz is definitely a little more technical than patrick he you know switches his stance well he's got good low kicks hard kicks you know he's not the fastest guy but his shots you know do have impact he's a well-rounded fighter d1 wrestler i mean Good guillotine, that's definitely one thing you got to watch out. But on the feet, I, I do see Holtzman getting the better of him. You know, I see Lentz landing his shots as well, but I think Lentz is just there to be hit too much. You know, I feel like Holtzman's developing a little more uh, just details to his, his striking game for sure. Now he's doing striker things, you know, he, he's lifting up his shorts and he's, he's uh, faking low kicks now. So, you know, I feel like he's getting more comfortable in there fight to fight. I think Lentz is going to be there to get hit all night. I think he will take those shots, and I think Scotty, you know, will stuff his tape. 
takedowns. I'm sure Lentz might get one or two, but I think Scotty's too strong for him. I think Lentz is too much of a target on the feet. And I think Scotty will bruise him up for a three-round decision. I can totally see that as well. You know, when you talk about uh, Scotty Holtzman, like you mentioned, he's been improving fight to fight. You know, he was an athlete. He was a alleged professional hockey player, even though he never uh, played in the NHL. But he made that transition to MMA and... Dude, he's been uh, he's been putting in some work because those last few wins, you can see the progression every single fight. You can see he's well rounding, he's rounding out his game. And what's interesting is that Scott Holdsman is actually older than Nick Lentz, but that's only in terms of age. We know age is nothing but a number, but in terms of their MMA career, Scott Holdsman is definitely the younger guy. He definitely has more miles left in the tank than Nick Lentz. But I'll tell you what about Nick Lentz. Even though he's had such a long career, close to 45, over 40 fights actually, the guy, uh, it seems like he's still evolving too. I don't think that Nick Lentz is at the end of the road or anything like that. I think he's actually been adding elements to his game. I know his last fight against Gray Maynard, it was, you know, it was Gray Maynard. But still, to see Nick Lentz going out there knocking guys out with head kicks still showed me that, you know, he's still rounding out his game and he's still adding new elements to it. I was very impressed by that. But as far as this matchup, I simply think that Scott Holtzman is going to be the bigger, more athletic, the tougher, the bruising type. And I do think Nick Lentz is going to have moments because Nick Lentz is such a vet. He's been in there with everyone. He's definitely going to land some shots on Scott's face. And when Scott shoots, he's got to be wary of that guillotine. But overall, I think that Scott is going to be the bigger, more physical guy. And that'll probably get him two out of three rounds for a decision here. Maybe, maybe all three rounds. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Andrea Lee. She's 9-2. And, and Ashley Evan Smith is 6-3. and three. Currently, they got Andrea Lee minus 190. The comeback on Ashley Evan Smith is plus 165. Well, Shaq, this is uh, Andrea Lee's first fight back since all that shit went down. Uh, I got to know your opinion, man. You think she's focused and ready to go? You know, you know, there's a good question on, you know, who's going to win this fight. But the real question is, where the fuck is Donnie Aaron at? <laughs> fucking, Have you seen him? That motherfucker vanished, huh? I never caught him. Uh, by the way, you know, she's still she's still with Donnie Aaron. But, <laughs> but uh, as far as this fight goes, uh, Andrea Lee and Evan Smith, you know, I feel like Evan Smith, uh, she was just a beneficiary of, you know, fighting Beck Rawlings her last fight. We know Beck Rawlings is a... She's better at bare knuckle boxing, you know, not so much at uh, UFC. <laughs> She's seven and eight in MMA, and you know, I think towards the end, you know, she was just a mental, mental midget, and pretty much anyone could have, you know, went in there and took care of business. So, you know, I feel like Evan Smith was just more so a beneficiary of that. You know, I feel like she's got a win over a rank, a ranked fighter, so I guess she kind of has accomplished more than Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee really hasn't beaten anybody, but I'll say this, Andrea Lee, the skills that she has showed against these girls definitely are well-rounded. She's got good, you know, knees, uh, low kicks, uh, you know, her ground game's on point. I mean, I've seen her beat up some girls very impressively, and I, I was impressed, I'm not going to lie, but is Evan Smith the best girl she's fought? Mm, I would, maybe, maybe. You know, Evan Smith has been in there with Vieira, Renault, Raquel, so she's been in there with some top some top girls, especially upper weight class. You know, Evan Smith is dropping at 25. She's a big girl, a wrestler. But I think Evan Smith is just too scared to get hit, man. You know, I feel like uh, she makes a lot of mistakes in her footwork, you know, trying to close the distance. You know, I feel like she's real flat-footed. At times, she doesn't respond well to punishment. I know that was against... Uh, Kellen Vieira, who's on a completely different level, but I feel like it'll just be down to a watered-down extent. You know, I feel like Andrea Lee's going to get the win here. I feel like she's the better fighter in every aspect, maybe except uh, wrestling. Evan Smith did have a couple good shots against uh, Rawlings there. I'm not going to lie, those were some 
fast shots, but uh, I think Andrea Lee's just too tough, too skilled, too dynamic for Evan Smith, and I think she'll get the decision win. Yeah, you know what's funny is that when I was watching tape on Andrea Lee for her last fight, you know, just based on all the shit that went on outside the cage, I was kind of wanting to, you know, watch the fights and be like, oh, what a fraud, this and that. Dude, she was impressive, man. Like, she's very well-rounded. You can tell that she does have a good, solid Muay Thai base. Her jiu-jitsu is on point as well. She's a very good, well-rounded fighter, and now she's coming out here about to get, uh, about to fight in her second UFC appearance. And with Ashley Evans-Smith, I mean, you know. She's a party girl. It's fun to have her in the UFC. She's got tattoos on her head. You know, she'll... Hey, if we want a wild night, we'll have a wild night. <laughs> Man, I want to say some things, but I can't. But uh, let's just say my girl Ashley Evans-Smith, uh, you know what I'm saying? She's she's living her best life is all I got to say. She, she is quite the rebel girl. You know? <laughs> as far as this matchup, uh, look... I just simply think that all Ashley Evans Smith has is mediocre striking, a couple takedowns, a head and arm throw. It's it's fun. She's she has a good career being a future interviewer. Uh, you saw her interview my boy Chet Congo. Uh, look, all bullshit aside, I got Andrew Lee via, via decision here. And next up in the bantamweight division, we got Manny Bermudez. He's thirteen and zero. Benito Lopez is nine and zero. Currently, they got Manny Bermudez minus two hundred. The comeback on Benito Lopez is plus one seventy. Well, Shaq. On paper, it's striker versus grappler, man. I mean, Manny Bermudez, he's known for that uh, that Bermuda, the Bermudez triangle. He's been fucking getting everyone with that triangle. Got Albert Morales with the guillotine, very well-rounded submission attack. And with Benito Lopez, a lot of people are comparing him to a bantamweight Yair. So I got to know your opinion on this matchup. Uh, yeah, it's a good matchup. Manny Bermudez has been tapping a lot of people out. No one has been able to solve the Bermudez triangle, but no one has been able to solve the Benito Lopez triangle as well. You know, uh, he's undefeated amateur, undefeated pro. Both guys are undefeated. Uh, I think Manny actually has a lost amateur, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he has uh, a lost pro. Uh, you know, Saul Almeida. Oh, Saul, Saul, Saul like... Almeida, if you guys have never seen that fight. You know, Manny's that typical, you know, specialist. I, I wouldn't consider him a jiu-jitsu specialist. I would consider him a triangle you know, a triangle specialist, you know, a, you know, a choke specialist, I guess, in a sense, uh, with the with the uh, Albert Morales fight. I mean, he's definitely got some interesting things. The one thing I'll say about, uh, you know, Bermudez is he definitely looked like he had better stand-up his last fight. But one thing we can't forget, when I say guys have fought in, you know, fought in straight cans, now, Davey Grant's a nice guy. He made it to the uh, finals of the Ultimate Fighter. But let's be honest here, Dan. Davy Grant, you know, he pulled out of that fight two weeks prior to that. You know, Davy Grant is harmless. You know, he's out there getting tapped out by Webster Stasiak. And, you know, he's just, I think his coach had passed away. No, I'm not trying to, you know, you know to talk shit on that situation. But, like, you know, he, he, was a, he, was a, he was a dead man walking in there, you know. No, no offense to him. But you know, Manny Bermudez. Handled business accordingly, for sure. But, you know, I feel like Manny's one of those typical guys that come along that's, you know, a specialist in these triangles, hill hooks, whatever, that if you can get out of it, if you can stay out of it, he will start to slowly quit. He will slowly start to look for ways out. And uh, like we saw in the Saul Almeida fight, he will look for every which and way out. You know, if you suck and you can't stuff a takedown like Albert Morales and you have opportunities to pound on him, keep consistently finding yourself uh, in chokes and in scrambles that you're losing, then Manny's definitely going to sub you. Now, I know Benito Lopez is also coming off a win over Albert Morales, but let's not forget Benito fought Albert before Manny Bermudez, and he uh, 
landed some flying knees, which led him to deteriorating more fl- faster. Albert dropped, man. He reviewed himself <laughs> twice and almost KO'd him. I was like, what? He dropped uh, Benito as well, but Benito dropped him like three times after that. <laughs> but uh, It was a different reaction to how yeah, they got exactly, dropped. Yeah, exactly, for sure. One was with a jab. One, one stiffened was, up. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think Manny's one of those good guys. He might come out here and sub Benito, but I think it's going to be a little trickier with Benito. You know, I feel like David Grant and... And Albert Morales are suckers to get sub. That's where I feel like Benito Benito Lopez is a long, long body guy, very agile, a guy that can make you pay for desperate entries to try to you know grab a clinch or you know get a tie up. I mean, this guy at times is flying knees very well. He's good with that left high kick like we saw in the uh, Ocho Peterson fight, and I feel like he's more tested than Bermudez. You know, I feel like Bermudez has actually been in there with a like a real UFC fighter. And I know Steven Peterson's one in one. One in, he's he's one and one in the UFC, and uh, I feel like that's a, a at least a real legit a, a legacy champion, you know, a, a guy that's paid his dues. And Steven Peterson pushes a hell of a pace. That's why we call him the junkyard dog. You know, he's a he's a guy that will take all your shots and keep moving forward. And you know that style will eventually get to you. So I feel like that's why Benito, you know, got a little tired in that second round. Uh, but I mean, when he was on his back, it's not like he got mounted or smashed on he didn't look like a fish out of water he was just buying his time waiting for the next round and uh you know he was able to capitalize against a guy who's way more experienced than anyone manny bermudez has ever fought so you know i feel like benito's actually a little more far along so i'm gonna take benito in the upset i respect manny bermudez jiu-jitsu skills but uh i feel like if he thinks he can stand up with benito he's gonna get knocked out and i feel like uh the longer, the longer this goes, he will start to look for ways out. So I'm going to go with Benito. You definitely have to respect what both these guys bring to the table. Obviously with Manny Bermudez, dude, uh, very impressive opportunistic submission skills, man. Over there with Albert Morales, Albert Morales dips his head a slight bit too low. And all of a sudden, Manny Bermudez snatches that neck. The fight's over shortly after. And with Davy Grant, drops him with that right hand, immediately sets up that mounted triangle, game set and match. And... You know, I will criticize Manny Bermuda's stand-up. I don't care if he dropped Davy Grant with the right hand. I mean, at this point, anyone can drop Davy Grant. Davy Grant, uh, you know, rest in peace to his coach. Very unfortunate situation. But you saw that he never came back the same after that. And now he's most likely a retired fighter. So while it was an impressive victory, you really cannot hold much stock in that. Because when you're talking about Benito Lopez, he's nowhere near retirement. He's actually at the beginning of his career. He's only 23, 24 years old. He's just a kid. So with Benito Lopez, what I like about him is that you know, there's there's this illusion that, you know, he's just a flashy guy just throwing flying kicks and flying knees. And, yeah, his flying knees are on point. Very well-timed, very accurate. He can drop guys with them. He'll land right on your chin. But after you get past the flying knees, then he becomes a technical striker. He can outpoint you for the duration of the fight. He can stuff takedowns. He can do everything. He can attack with submissions. That Steven Peterson fight, I know he did end up on his back, but you got to consider the kind of pace that those guys were pushing. That was an absolute dog fight pace. And Manny Bermudez does not fight at a dog pi- at a dog uh, fight pace. Manny Bermudez wants to look for that opening, take you down, start to set up that mounted triangle. He's going to throw his right hand because he's feeling more confident in it, but it's not going to land on Benito like it landed on Davy Grant. I'll tell you that right now. So I think that as long as Benito doesn't get caught in the first few minutes, I think that he is able to come out here and possibly win a decision or knock out Manny Bermudez because it doesn't seem to me like Benito is some scrub that's just going to get tapped out in the first couple minutes by Manny. And Manny does have good jujitsu, but you guys got to remember that He's only a purple belt, and that's amazing, too. Being a purple belt, that counts for a lot. But I feel like people are hyping him up to be the next Dubronx, and you guys got to understand Dubronx is a black belt. There's a complete difference in the level. So if Manny comes out here and 
triangles Benito, then I'll start to be like, okay, maybe this guy is the, you know, the bantamweight submission artist you got to look out for. But right now I'm not convinced. Right now I'm under the impression that he fought two complete cans and styled on them. And even in that Albert Morales fight, when he got dropped by Morales, he stiffened up and it looked like one or two more follow-ups and he would have been out cold. Whereas when Benito got dropped with that jab, immediately he gets back up. He's in Albert's face. Then he's dropping him with flying knees. So it didn't really seem like Benito was really affected by it. It seemed like he was more off balance. Whereas Manny Bermudez, it was like that Aaron Pico knockout versus Corrales, that first right hand. Where Corrales landed that right hand on Pico, the first one stiffened him up but then he landed two or three follow-ups which made him go out cold well albert morales landed the same kind of shot on manny bermudez he stiffened him up but he didn't have what it took to land those two or three follow-ups instead followed him to his guard and uh you, you guys know what happened there so i do think that benito's got you know the the mindset, the smarts to not get caught in that triangle choke and beat this guy up, expose him, make him pay, and show that you do have to well round you do have to round out your game if you want to compete in the UFC bantamweight division. So I will also take Benito Lopez for the upset. I believe it should be lined closer to a pick'em. Next up in the bantamweight division, we got Jimmy Rivera. He's twenty-two and two. Aljamain Sterling is sixteen and three. Currently, they got Jimmy Rivera minus one forty-five. The comeback on Aljamain Sterling is plus one twenty-five. I gotta tell you what, man. Aljamain Sterling has made some big improvements, and uh, now he's got a chance to put that to the test against a top-five guy in Jimmy Rivera. And Jimmy obviously bounced back from his loss to Marlon Moraes. Both of them got caught. Jimmy had a very impressive performance over Dodson. Now I got to know, man, these guys, this has been a long time coming. They were supposed to fight on the regional scene. Now they're finally meeting inside the octagon. Uh, you know these two don't like each other. Who you got? Yeah, it's a great fight. Aljamain's definitely been looking good his last two fights. I felt like, you know, he capitalized on two inexperienced prospects in comparison to Jimmy Rivera, a lot more experienced guy, a better guy. Jimmy Rivera, we know his weakness it would be his chin. He gets wobbled from time to time. You know, you could <laughs> see it as time well. Time to time, like every fight. You could also see it in the <laughs> Dotson fight. You know, I feel like the reason why the Dotson fight was so slow is because Dotson's an extremely fast little, you know, squirmer and it's hard to get a read on him. You know, he doesn't really engage the most. If you make one mistake, he might catch you with the left. And Jimmy, you know, definitely felt his left. But Jimmy did a good job of just picking a shot. When it was time to swing, swing real hard. Put Dotson on the defensive, and he did what pretty much everyone does when they beat Dotson. They won a close decision. Jimmy's clearly the better puncher, though clearly the better all, better all over striker. But, you know, I feel like with Al Jermaine, that might not matter because, uh, his arms and his legs are very long, and he seems like he's getting a little more comfortable fight to fight, you know, trading punches. Definitely not on someone on Jimmy's level, but his range for short guys can definitely, you know, cause problems. Uh, Cody Stamen had a 64-inch reach, but Jimmy Rivera has four more inches of reach than Stamen. But, and he's just uh, he's a lot better at knowing he's a better striker than Cody Stamen and Brett John. So I think uh, Aljamain can cause some problems. With his length, you know, it still is hard to close that distance on a long guy who's flailing out strikes like that. He's real funky. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. He's all over the place, man. This guy will shoot a single, a real low single, but because he's so long and, you know, strong, you know, it works out for him, man. He's definitely a tough a tough fight. Jimmy, we really haven't seen his, uh, his jiu-jitsu per se, but we have seen Pedro Munoz uh, shoot in on him a couple times. Now, I know Pedro's arrest, I wouldn't... I wouldn't even put Pedro's and Aljamain's wrestling, you know, anywhere near the same level. But at least we have seen someone shoot on on him. You know, I would say the issue really in Aljamain's last two fights uh, with his opponents really 
was, you know, I would say inexperienced, but I would say that in the Stamen fight, it wasn't necessarily that he was getting singles and dumping Stamen. Stamen was stuffing the takedowns. It was just that it seemed like Aljamain's pace got a lot better. It seemed like he's just very comfortable trading punches now, which in the past is something... I, I question is, I thought, you know, like Caraway said when they fought him back then, you know, the kid's scared to punch. Um, it doesn't seem like he's scared to punch anymore. I still think that Jimmy can, you know, create some fear. I still feel like Jimmy's slightly the better fighter. It's interesting to see that everyone's on Aljamain Sterling in this spot. And uh, when everyone goes against Jimmy like that, you know, it's not a good recipe, man. You know, Jimmy's the type of guy, he's 22 and 2. The holes in Jimmy's game, I don't feel like that's Aljamain's strength. I feel like, you know, you got to be able to consistently wobble Jimmy or knock him out. So, you know, I am going to go with Jimmy Altera Rivera, but I have the utmost respect for Aljamain. I do. There are some questions, you know, what if Aljamain gets on top of him, you know? You know, that small, short body frame against a long body frame like Aljo's, Aljamain's probably going to handle business if he gets him down but i'm not convinced he gets him down you know i, I definitely you know agree that jimmy hasn't fought a, a wrestler a grappler on this caliber yet but we'll see but i got jimmy rivera i, I can't say it's a dog or pass situation because you know aljermaine opened what plus plus 185 it's uh, favorite past mine yeah it's now it's uh now you got jimmy rivera i feel like the value is actually on the favorite but uh it's a tough fight but i got jimmy rivera by uh unanimous decision I'm excited for this fight because uh, I was definitely wrong on Aljamain's last two fights. I was under the impression that, you know, it was kind of a, a hype job. You know, he has a couple of funky submissions on the mat. He tapped out uh, Takeya Mizugaki with an arm triangle from bottom. like. But I always thought he had no striking whatsoever. But, man, he's definitely been putting in work. He's definitely been improving, especially after that Marlon Marais fight. Because I thought that was like, you know, this is what we've been saying for years. Of course he got exposed. But, dude, the improvements he made in the Brett Johns fight and the Cody Stamen fight... Especially that knee bar he hit on Cody Stamen. He's always been doing funky things if he gets you down. But now he's seems like he's really getting confident inside the cage. It seems like we're seeing the finished product of Aljamain Sterling. You know, we always said he had potential, but for some reason he never put it together. Well, now he's putting it together. So I'm happy to see that Aljamain Sterling is finally living up to his potential. As far as Jimmy Rivera... What can I say, man? Consummate professional, super composed, disciplined fighter. Very, very professional, like I said, man. I mean, he... Uh, Obviously, his combination striking is on point, as you've seen since the Pedro Munoz fight, his leg kicks like you saw in the Faber fight, also his durability and his recoverability like you saw in the Yuri Alcantara fight. He got dropped twice, came back, still won that fight 30-27. So Jimmy Rivera is a very tough out for anyone in that division except uh, the uncrowned champ, Marlon Moraes. So I think that... Uh, in this matchup here with Aljo Man Sterling, I think on the feet, even though Aljo has been getting better, he does have that length. He is kind of funky, sidekicks to the legs, the whole bit. I just think that Jimmy's understanding of striking is on a completely different level. I do think that Jimmy's going to be able to counter Aljamain in the stand-up exchanges and get the better of that. But it comes down to what happens if Aljamain body locks Jimmy because Aljamain does have a serious body lock. They call him the human anaconda. At first, I thought it was a joke, but now I, I'm like, dude, this kid's serious. So it takes Jimmy's back. It's going to be interesting, man. Uh, but every time I've seen Jimmy... Uh, you know, defend takedowns or get taken down and get back up, uh, he scrambles really damn fast. The kid is absolutely explosive. So while Jimmy's fresh, I think he's going to have a lot of success. It's just that, you know, Jimmy's chin has been in question, but his cardio has also kind of been in question too. I know you saw that Tomas Almeida fight. So maybe Aljamain can 
take over in the later rounds or something like that. But bottom line, I do think that Jimmy is the more technically sound fighter, the more disciplined fighter, and I think he will make Aljamain Sterling pay for some of the mistakes that he makes on the feet. So for that reason, I will take Jimmy Rivera here as a favorite. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Andre Touchy Feely. He's 18 and 6, and Miles Fury Jury is 17 and 3. Currently, they got Miles Jury minus 150, and Andre Feely is plus 130. So, Shaq, my question to you is because when I first heard about this matchup, I kind of thought it was 50-50, and they opened Miles Jury minus 195. They opened Andre Feely plus 155. Am I underrating Jury a little bit, or do you think they kind of got it wrong and it should be more more towards the pick Yeah, you know, both guys are uh, coming off disappointing losses. Jury to Chad Mendez and, and Feely to Michael Johnson. Feely's was a little more questionable. You know, could have went either way. It was definitely a close fight. Jury, the thing I would say about his loss is a lot of people are going to say, oh, he got knocked out by a, a guy that's guy. <laughs> that's retired now. But let's not forget that that retired guy nearly almost floored Volkanovski twice as well. And uh, But Volkanovski's just too mentally strong. He's just built differently. Uh physically so you know chad mendez let's not forget that guy still can crack you know he can still clip anyone on the chin so you know i feel like jerry i definitely feel like there's something up with him um you know he just seems like i don't want to say that he's scared to fight it just seems like he he thinks a lot you know i've heard rumors dating years back you know if you push him he'll break so you know that's definitely we saw the cowboy fight uh you know, his losses, he's 17-3, and three, you know, his losses are a dangle off the neck by Charles, an embarrassment against Cowboy, and a, a knockout loss. You know, he's never necessarily, besides Cowboy, never been necessarily outwitted, you know, outpointed, uh, laid on. In terms of an overall MMA game, you know, I feel like Philly's uh, shown signs of power in the past, you know, against guys like Hakan Diaz, who get dropped in every fight, or... Uh, Jeremy Larson. Mowgli, Mowgli Benitez. Oh, yeah, he did, he did finish my boy, Gabriel. Uh, yeah, so, you know, he has shown power. But I feel like primarily, especially lately, it seems like he's settled in as a guy that kind of similar style to Jerry. Jab, right high. A very lackluster point-fighting approach. Uh, he's got a great time double leg that he can hit on guys that are uh, aggressive. You know, Jerry, I don't see I don't see Jerry making that mistake. Jerry's a very patient guy that doesn't really expose himself too much. You know, to be Jerry, you got to close the distance and bomb off on him. I feel like Philly and Jerry are going to play a very similar game. I, I see why they got matched up. It's another version of Alpha Melon Alliance, you know, I, I saw Jerry said he, he uh, not Jerry, but Philly said that he definitely, fighting Jerry definitely uh, crossed his mind in the past. But uh, I do feel like Jerry just kind of slightly does everything better than Philly, just slightly. Uh, I feel like he's better on the mat. He's a black belt. You know, Philly was making mistakes in the Michael Johnson fight. You know, he had his back taken and then Michael, he let Michael turn in. And, you know, generally props to Michael because uh, generally when dudes get Michael in that spot, it's... <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's over. But uh, Michael turned in on Philly, man. He, Philly made a lot of mistakes in his grappling in that fight. And he made a lot of mistakes in his grappling in the Hakan Diaz fight. He was able to get away with it because, you know, he fought on, on an old Brazilian. I feel like it's going to be a close fight, but I just slightly favor Miles Jury. Just slightly, personally, I just think Philly, in this particular matchup, like I said, if you're under the impression that this guy, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, he can knock, he can knock, you know, anyone out on a given day. But like I said, this guy's primarily a jabber, move off to the angle, just like Jerry. And I feel like Jerry, you know, one thing I'll say about Jerry is Rick Lynn. You know, I I, I kind of devalue that win at times, but I will say 
that I haven't seen anyone handle Rigland from start to finish the way he did. So by default, I'll say uh, I got Miles Jury by a close decision. They're definitely matched up very closely, so I kind of was surprised that Jury opened almost two to one. But he has had hype for the longest time. You know, a lot of people were picking him to beat Cowboy Cerrone. One thing I'll say is, one thing about Miles is, you know, he started, you know, 15-0 and lightweight division, but he keeps making steady drops. You know, first he, he's been top 15 his whole career, but, you know, top 7, you know, 8, then 10, 11. 15, so, so you're saying it's not like he went 10 to 5 yeah, to 1. He's going, he's going the opposite down, way, huh? Down. Look, as far as his matchup, I do think Andre Feely is actually the one that's been making the improvement despite his last loss to Michael Johnson. Maybe he got a little comfortable. Maybe he got a little cocky. I know they were talking a bunch of shit, and he kind of still feels like he won that fight. But bottom line is Feely generally doesn't lose two in a row. Not that that, mean, not that, that means shit because he generally didn't win two in a row either, and he did finally win two in a row. So all those patterns don't mean a fucking thing. I just wanted to bring that up. But as far as his matchup's concerned, on the feet, they're going to be point fighting. It's about who lands the more volume. I think Andre does have slightly more volume standing. And I also think Andre's got a nicer uh, double leg, especially these days. He's been mixing in his takedown, something that he never used to do in the past. And Miles Jury, I remember when he took down Cowboy Cerrone, immediately got attacked with that Oma Plata. Then he got his back taken. I know that's Cowboy Cerrone. But I've always kind of questioned Miles Jury's confidence for some reason, man. Obviously, you know, me and you heard the stories back in the day about, you know, you can break this guy if you push him, all that stuff. But if you go back and you watch that countdown when he was fighting Donald Cerrone, why is this dude getting, like, knighted? <laughs> like, what was up with, uh, ever since that that countdown to that Cowboy Cerrone fight, I've always thought Miles Jury was really weird. And, you know, since that point, he only fights once every couple of years. He's just showing up for a paycheck. It was fun. I think he's got stuff going on outside the cage. I think he's got his own businesses. I'm going to go with Andre Feely by decision. Welterweight division. We got Brian Barrena. He's 14-5. and five, And Vicente Luque is 14-6. and six. Currently, they got Vicente Luque minus 360. The comeback on Brian Barberena is plus 300. Shaq, I got to know, man. Uh, Brian Barberena has a history of coming through as the underdog, especially when he's counted up. Especially against uh, that last Brazilian he fought, Worley Alves, who did have a gassing problem. The two times we've seen Vicente Luque lose has been due to a cardio issue. You think that's something Brian Barberena can potentially... Yeah, you know, I see a lot of people saying Luque's a top 15, top 10 guy. I, I disagree. You know, I feel like he's not been can crushing, but, you know, he's been fighting cans. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel like Luque's definitely got some uh, good power. Clearly got a good left hook. You know, if you don't have the technical boxing prowess to box with him in the pocket, he's going to knock you out. If you uh, play with your hands down, you like parrying a lot, he's going to knock you out. Uh, seems like, you know, the two times he's gone past the first round, they haven't been good. <laughs> you know, it, he did go past the first round against Nico Price, but like I said, Nico Price doesn't have the technical uh, boxing prowess. You know, I feel like Barbarina does have better technical bo boxing prowess than... Uh, pretty much everyone he's fought since Leon. Chad Lepre was definitely leaving that left hook wide open. And like I said, you <laughs> let uh, Vicente touch you. And uh, he definitely can knock you out. But I do think some of those guys have suspect chins in comparison to Bar pretty much everyone that he's knocked out. Bilal, Nico, Chad, Jalen. I think they all had suspect chins in comparison to uh, into Bam Bam Barbarina. You know, Bam Bam... I would say that his weakness is he has poor octagon control. You know, it seems like he's always getting pushed back. And the reason why is, you know, he's a former lightweight. He said the cut to 55 takes everything out of him. 
So uh, he had to move up to 70, and that's his weakness at 170, in my opinion, and his, and his uh, wrestling and tie-up game. And the fact that, you know, he's not the best athlete, but it seems like he consistently finds ways to make things look a lot closer. Look, going into the Leon fight, people thought Leon was just going to 30-27 him. It was going to be easy money. He's too slow. He's too fat. He's, you know too weird looking and you know leon had a tough time barb fighting barb's definitely leon not easy <laughs> leon almost got floored and knocked out you know i feel like uh barb is a guy that guys feel like they can get very comfortable against like i said due to his lack of physicality like i definitely do think there's a chance vicente comes out here and bruises him up badly in the first round but i feel like barb you know has a way of finessing guys and exerting a lot of energy doesn't seem like he takes shots too flush you know he just seems like a he's one of those guys where he looks like shit but when you get in there it's, it's a it's a completely different story you know i feel like vicente is capable enough of after the leon fight we haven't seen it but i feel like since he took that loss, I'm sure he's a little more keen, a little more wise to, you know, not dumping his uh, energy so early. But one thing I'll say about the Leon fight is Leon actually hurt him. And then it was weird to see Vicente completely abandon his, his strength, his bread and butter, the, you know, his boxing and his right kick. And he went to wrestling mode. So and he, his body completely shut down. He shelled up. Uh, he started taking a bunch of punches against the fence. So. You know, uh, it's going to be real interesting. I do think Vicente is the better fighter, but I do think it could possibly be a recipe for a sweat. You know, Barbarina, you know, generally isn't the type of guy you can uh, get out of there in the first round. Like I said, I feel like he's real good at finessing guys into throwing shots and they just seem to not be. Guys charge him, man. That's that's for facts, man. And uh, they just don't seem to really hurt him, man. But Vicente is a little more cleaner. He's definitely got to watch out for that left hook. But that right hook of Barb could definitely be a weapon as well. And like I said, uh, Vicente, when he gets tired, he completely shuts down from what I've seen. But uh, I do think Barb has poor octagon control. If, you know, it went three rounds, I do think Vicente could win a decision. But I'm going to say it's going to be a sweaty decision. I'm going to say 30-27. I think uh, Barb will have a moment or two. I kind of see this fight being similar to the Leon fight. Man, I'm excited for this fight. Obviously, anytime you get Brian Barberena or Vicente Luque in there, it's a recipe to... To be fireworks, man, I mean, Vicente Luque, he's 7-2 and two in the UFC, and most of those wins are first-round knockouts. Obviously, he's got a couple second-round ones against Nico Price, against Alvaro Herrera, but basically, he's finished every single guy that he's beaten inside the octagon. But I feel like there's two different versions of Vicente Luque. There's Vicente Luque when he's fresh, and that's, you know, the silent assassin. That's his nickname, the guy that just... Man, he keeps his hands up in the air. He's looking for that counter-left hook the entire time, and when his hands land on you... Look the fuck out because this guy will sleep you. But then there's the gassed out Vicente Luque. And you go back and watch the Mike Graves fight. And then go back and watch the Leon Edwards fight. When Vicente Luque starts gassing out, he becomes a completely different guy. And you're like, whoa, Vicente? Like, what's going on, man? And that's why, that's why I believe that Vicente Luque will not be a top 10 guy. And I know people are acting like he is right now. But, you know, the bottom line is you're wrong. He's not. You know, he's a top 20 guy, but he's not a top 10 guy. But either is Barberena. As far as Barberena, you know, he's always that guy that you start to slow down on Barberena. He will tee off on you. He's got a great chin. He's got the dad bod. But, you know, people people underestimate him because of how he looks. But then he goes in there and he whoops ass. So I got a lot of respect for Barberena. But the issue in this fight and the reason why the, the line is so wide is because Vicente is just so much faster than him, such a better athlete than him. 
and has been getting better results lately than uh, Brian Bar- Barbarana. I know Barbarana knocked out Jake Ellenberger, but you know you know Vicente would launch Ellenberger into the 10th row, so I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I actually thought that Barbarana, even though it was a first-round knockout, felt like he didn't look as stable as he should have on, on his legs. You know, maybe it was due to that surgery he had. So, But as far as this matchup's concerned, I do think that Vicente is going to be landing the cleaner shots. Uh, possibly knockout Barbarena, but I, I, don't, I doubt it because Barbarena is so tough and durable. He's got an incredible chin. So I just see Vicente landing the harder shots for the first and second round. If he starts to gas out in that third round, uh, it, could get, it could become a sweat because, you know, Barb won't slow down. But... Ultimately, I see Vicente Luque getting his arm raised in, in this matchup. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Kron Gracie. He's 4-0, and Alex Caceres is 14-11. Currently, they got Kron Gracie in minus 350, and Alex Caceres is plus 290. Shaq, I got to know, uh, if Kron's last name was Stacy or Bracey, would he still be a minus 350 in this spot? No, that's a good question. He hasn't fun three years, four fights. He did beat Kawajiri. I will say it seems like it, his first two fights of stand-up was complete shit. It seems like his last two fights seems like it's a little better. Uh, we know his jiu-jitsu is serious. I mean, there's a good chance if he gets Caceres to the mat, bottom or top, that, you know, he might tap him out. Uh, Caceres, I mean, you know, he's a solid guy, 500. I mean, this guy can go to split with Yair on the given day. He can beat Sergio on the given day, go to split with Wang Guan, who's only lost one fight. So... You know, Caceres is a, you know, a serviceable UFC fighter. He's pretty decent. Had a great fight against Martin Bravo, fight of the night. But, you know, is Caceres trustworthy at nope. dog money? Maybe, you know, it might be worth a one-unit shot, man. You know, it's big payout. Personally, I do think that when the fight hits the floor, you know, it will be over. You know, I think uh, Caceres has shown, you know, a lot of times in his UFC career just to make bad mistakes or to get spooked. You know, uh, I think he is getting a little chinnier these days. Not saying that Kron's going to, you know, but I think Kron, uh, you know, he's taking that approach. Uh, like a lot of these jujitsu guys, you know, they're very uncoordinated. They're very, you know, unathletic, but they will swing wild, you know, into scaring you into making a mistake. And then they will tap you out. So I am going to go with Cron Gracie for the win here. Yeah, I mean, I wish they gave Cron Gracie someone a little bit more reliable so, you know, we could get that dog money. But Alex Bruce Leroy, like you said, on his best day, can go to a split with Yair, can go to a split with Wang Guan, tapped out Sergio Pettis. So he's done some things inside the octagon. It's just that, historically speaking, his submission defense has been an issue. And Cron Gracie, even though, you know, he's only 4-0, he's only fought in Japan, a million years ago, we know we know the deal uh, over there. You know the ref was wearing an earpiece and the whole bit. But as far as here in the UFC, unfortunately, Alex Casera's submission defense has always historically let him down. And if Kron Gracie takes that back, you know, as fake as his fights were in Japan, uh, he's going to tap Alex Bruce Leroy out. So, you know, I, even though I would never lay minus 350 on a guy like this, uh, I, I still think he probably comes out here and submits uh, Bruce Leroy. And we can talk about fading him in his next fight. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got Cynthia Calvillo. She's 7-1, and Courtney, and Ka- Courtney Casey is 8-6. and six. Currently, they got Cynthia Calvillo, minus 300. The comeback on Courtney Casey is plus 250. Well, Shaq, uh, Cynthia Calvillo was counted out her last fight against Botelio. A lot of people bet big on Botelio, and Cynthia Calvillo proved why she's a uh, top 10 in the world in her weight class, tapped her out in the first round. So now she's taking on Courtney Casey, and what's interesting to me about it is that Courtney Casey has always been criticized historically for her fight IQ and for her takedown defense. We know she's going to be easy to take down, but we also know she's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Uh, do you think it's going to be that easy for Cynthia Calvillo to pass her guard, take her back, and potentially choke her out? 
Casey was a letdown. <laughs> I think uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty high on Calvillo, man. I think uh, the Esparza fight, even though she lost, you know, I think that was a good lesson for her. She was probably getting a little too cocky going into that fight. But I feel like, you know, her... She's got she's developing a point boxing style that I really like, you know, for the female uh, division. Buckholes is definitely teaching her well. We know that the jujitsu game. She's definitely no slouch in that. And uh Courtney Casey, I feel like she's a solid ranked fighter, you know. I feel like she hits she's hits very hard for girls. I've always known that about her. She's definitely uh but I feel like her execution, her wrestling defense, her cardio, her chin, her durability, you know, it, it isn't the best, you know. I feel like uh even though she's not, the, how old is she, 30, I'm assuming, 31, you know, I feel like at times she can hit like a lactic state where uh, she looks older than that, you know, but, you know, I feel like her last fight, she was able to show off that power a lot more just due to the issue that Angela Hill stood right in front of her for 15 minutes and she didn't have to shoot really. Uh, <laughs> I know that one thing with Courtney Casey is when she's throwing those bombs, man, one little duck under like we saw in the Watterson fight, the Feliz fight, uh, Aguilar fight, one little duck under with the single. I mean, she will give up that takedown. And when you got a girl like Cynthia on top of you, she doesn't necessarily need to submit you. I think, uh, will she submit her? Maybe, maybe not. But I just think uh, Courtney Casey in a fight against a grappler, grappling is her kryptonite. Grappling makes her tired. It makes her punches less effective. It makes her punches less slow. Makes her punches more sloppier, which leads her to getting wobbled, which leads her to getting taken down again. You know, Calvillo's weakness, I would say... Uh, I wouldn't say it's her striking. I would I would just say she's a jujitsu grappling based fighter. You know, I feel like better girls will be able that will be able to keep it upright on the feet might be able to uh expose her. But uh, you know, I feel like Courtney Casey was able to pretty much just let her strikes go her last fight just because uh Angela Hill's a Muay Thai fighter. And I'm not even convinced Courtney Casey won that fight. I saw her wobbling and hurt to the body several times. I actually scored the last two rounds for Hill. So I'm gonna go with Calvillo for a uh, decision win here and another letdown for Casey. Yeah, once again it's interesting because Cynthia Calvillo does want to take this fight to the mat. Courtney Casey is a brown belt in jujitsu, so I'm not entirely convinced that Cynthia comes out here and taps her out, but I do think that she will get the better of the the scrambles, the just the grappling exchanges. I do think that's Cynthia will find a way to end up on top. She just has to be careful because Courtney Casey, she will probably be the first girl that Cynthia has ever fought that will attack off bottom, will maybe try to go for triangles of her own and stuff like that. So maybe we'll get to see Cynthia's uh, submission defense on display for the first time. But bottom line, I do think that she simply has more uh, fire in her. You know what I mean? She she has more spirit. I think she's going to push harder. And a lot of people don't know this about Courtney Casey because they only talk about her takedown defense. They don't know that she's low-key super chinny, man. I mean, you saw that Aguilar fight where at the end of one of the rounds, uh, she almost got dropped. You saw the Hill fight where Hill hurt her Hill hurt her multiple times. So Courtney Casey is low-key, not as durable as you think. Uh, I, I think Cynthia Calvillo comes out here and wins this fight. Co-main event of the evening. We got James Vick. He's 13-2. and two. And Paul Felder is fifteen and four. Currently, they got James Vick minus one fifteen, and Paul Felder is minus one hundred five. So they got it. They got it to pick them. They're not convinced that one guy is going to come out here and make a, def a definitive statement. So I got to know your opinion, man. Which which one of these two uh, rebounds in the win call? Yeah, you know, I see why it's lined to pick them because, you know, when I look at both guys' skill sets, I agree. I don't see either either guy being clearly ahead of the other guy in any aspect of the game per se i would say the difference between the two is just the execution you know i feel like paul felder's a big fucking letdown i feel like you know he wears his emotions on his sleeve he definitely shows his emotions throughout a fight which is not good man uh you know i feel like vic's issues are more so more related to health and 
you know, just defense against the fence. I feel like Felder, it's hard to put a number on it what his issue is, man. It just seems, firstly, to beat Vic, you know, you got to be able to crowd him, bomb off on him, and capitalize on the opportunities that you will to ha- to catch him. Felder doesn't really seem to necessarily hurt people with hands. He seems more of a, a, a low kicker. I will say his low kicks are definitely up there in the uh, upper echelon in the division. I would definitely say he's more of a well MMA a more of a well-rounded MMA fighter than his reputation of this, you know, vicious striker. Like I said, I like his low kicks. I think his low kicks are awesome, but his hands really don't seem to, like, hurt people or seems to come up short a lot, especially, and he's fighting a 6'3 guy now, so, you know, uh, that's going to be a big factor in this fight. You know, Vic, I would say prior to the Trinado fight, he was definitely, you know, looking better fight to fight, but I would say his last two fights... I don't want to say, uh, I felt like he's fought tougher people, firstly, Trinaldo and uh, Justin Gaethje. But uh, I would definitely say there's been some, a little more holes, you know, shown throughout his game. we always known that, you know, he, he definitely raises his chin. Now, I would say maybe another weakness is that if you get him tired, he starts to make more and more mistakes on the feet. So, you know, uh, but Paul Felder really doesn't initiate a grappling game. He just stands in front of people and strikes. So I am worried about Vic's weight. I definitely, you know, could see a situation where, you know, maybe the weight's playing a bigger factor than we all think. I know he's uh in shape, but, you know, it's not about how you make the weight. It's about how you recover after. And uh, Felder, but firstly, I just think Felder is a guy that doesn't capitalize. I think he's just a letdown. I feel like he's choked in every big fight he's had. I think he's just, I, I will say, He's got, I do think he has the skills to potentially, you know, capitalize on a mistake of Vic's if, you know, Vic just makes a glaring mistake. But I don't think he is, man. I think he's just going to fall short. I see this, I do see it it being close. I do think, you know, both guys are going to eat their shots, but I think Vic is just going to be slightly ahead. Like I said, I feel like it's line to pick him just because, like I said, I can't honestly say either guy's clearly ahead of ahead of the other guy. So I do feel like they match up fairly well, but I'll take James Vick by a close decision. I'm excited for this matchup, man. Uh, obviously, James Vick coming off the brutal KO loss to Justin Gaethje, but it's not the first time he's been caught. He got caught by Benil Darius, rebounded with four straight impressive wins. So I know that... I know firsthand that, you know, he's not been down in the dumps and he's not going to come out here a diminished version. I, he's been training with Sodiq Yusuf this entire camp, so I know he's going to be ready. And Paul Felder, uh, it's been the same story his entire career. We saw that Danny Castillo fight where he had that incredible knockout. We're all hyping him up. We're all gassing him up, thinking that this is going to be, you know, the next big striker at uh, 155. And ever since then, he's been a complete disappointment. I mean, the Edson Barboza fight stares at him for 15 straight minutes and throws a couple spins overdoes it with the spins the ross pearson fight gets 30 27 by ross pearson crookshank and berkman oh man like you know we're, we're thinking like okay paul felder's just gonna come out here and run through these guys like he's supposed to and for whatever reason man paul felder has a pulling the trigger issue and when he starts getting hit he starts making faces this might be a hot take but i actually think that if you go back and you watch paul felder's tape i actually think his jujitsu is better than his striking man like you saw the shit he was doing against uh darren crookshank that guillotine in the first round, the way he took his back in uh, the third round, and also the Charles Dubronx fight, his submission defense in that fight. Charles Dubronx put him through the whole arsenal of all the chokes, and Paul Felder survived, got on top, and finished him. So I'm more impressed with Paul Felder's jujitsu than I am with his striking, because on the feet, you know, one low kick at a time, one spin at a, at a time, one right hand at a time. So 
Vic needs to worry about is guys coming at him with three or four punches and they might miss the first two but that third one is the one that's going to land because Vic does lift his chin up in the air look tall men have tall man defense but that being said I think that Vic is going to put the volume on Paul Felder going to circle on the outside mix in the flying knees frustrate him and uh, just land enough volume to where there's no question who won this decision so I will go with James the Tech Executioner, Vic, via decision, and I currently think that the recency bias from his KO loss is why the line is as close as it is. Main event of the evening. We got Cain Velasquez. He's 14-2. and two. And Francis Ngannou is 12-3. and three. Currently, they got Cain Velasquez minus 165, and Francis Ngannou is plus 145. So, Shaq, a couple questions about this matchup. Obviously, Cain Velasquez coming off the three-year layoff. The last time we saw him, he absolutely destroyed Travis Brown. And with Francis Ngannou, the first time we saw him face a wrestler, you saw what happened with Stipe. So you think Francis Ngannou has made uh, the proper adjustments, has learned his lessons, or do you think Cain Velasquez is going to come off a three-year layoff and put it on the Frenchie? Well, I think this is a first-round KO or bust situation for Francis. Look, we've seen Cain make several mistakes early on in fights, uh, Czech Congo, uh, in every round in that fight. Uh, who else? JDS the first time. So, you know... For Doom, uh, he has made mistakes early on in fights, and Francis has got to capitalize. He's got to put his lights out. I do think there will be a chance. Kane comes out generally very aggressive. He likes to close the distance right away. And he actually, you know, will throw hands, man. He will give you that one opportunity. But the thing is, if he gets hit hard, he's going to go instant single leg mode, which we know is probably a nightmare for Ngannou, you know, a big guy like that with muscles. You know, we saw the Stipe fight after he got tired. But I will say in the Stipe fight, that was, that was embarrassing for Mangano because he was desperate. You know, it showed he was broken before the fight. Uh, he pretty much tried to he tried to knock Stipe out. You know, you can't try to. You got to just set it up and let it come to you. And uh, Mangano was desperate in there. The Black Beast fight, embarrassing, didn't throw. He was scared. And then the Blades fight, he let his hands go and he got a first-round knockout. Look, Francis can knock out anybody. Will he knock out Kane? He better do it in the first round. Or it's going to get real ugly. Kane's going to start single-legging him. He's going to go to the ankle dive game plan like how he did against JDS. And Francis is probably going to get tired. So, therefore, I'm going to go with Kane. But from a betting perspective, it is a dog or pass situation. It's a matter of do you think Francis can put his lights out in that one oppor couple opportunities that he will have, you know. Because I do think Kane will go to a strategy of straight ankle diving, you know, leg hump D1 wrestling mode and, you know, most likely tire Francis out, so I gotta go with Kane. If you're betting Kane, you might think of it from the perspective of, if we can just survive this first minute, we're gonna beat this guy. My guy, if you're thinking of that, a guy, three-year layoff, Chuck, you know, hasn't had his chin touched in years. Uh, has been KO'd before. Has been KO'd before, yeah. coming off layoffs. So. That's very, very true. That's definitely 100% true, and in that first minute, Kane is going to leave make, the openings. I don't know what it is, but in that <laughs> first minute, Kane always gets caught with some big shots. If anyone's going to capitalize, it is a guy like Francis Ngannou who has to barely touch you. He can touch you anywhere on the head, and you're going to go down out stiff. And you saw my boy Stipe, and you know he, he was always known for his durability throughout his entire career. And that fight with Francis Ngannou, I mean, he got hit with everything but the kitchen sink, and he survived. But then his very next fight, he gets knocked out by a light heavyweight in under uh, four minutes. So I think that... Francis did diminish uh, the chin of Stipe. And that being said, Cain Velasquez isn't as durable as Stipe. So in that first minute, there's definitely all the window of opportunity for Francis to come out here and knock Cain Velasquez out. I don't disrespect Cain like that. What? Stipe got knocked out by Struve. <laughs>
there is going to be the opportunity for him to no, knock him out of the first match. said Steve Bay is more durable. Is he more durable? Fuck yeah, he's more durable. Yeah, finished by Struve. He's more durable Kane, than Kane. Kane, Kane gets well with every fight. Kane will never get finished by Struve. <laughs> Kane gets well with every fucking fight, bro. But, uh, you know, Steve is more durable, right? So, Kane Velasquez does leave that opening in the first minute of every fight where Francis Ngannou can 100% capitalize. It's just about what's going to happen in that moment is, uh, is Francis going to put him down? Because, man, he does that. He writes the wrong of the Stipe fight, of the Black Beast fight. All of a sudden, he's back in line for another title shot. And that 100% can happen. It's just, will it happen? Because the long-term battle, this fight goes five rounds, and I got Cain Velasquez. I mean, I just I think even if this fight goes past the first or second, I got Cain Velasquez because that pace that he pushes. He's got that style just like DC, just like these high-level wrestlers they can wall and maul you you know some people call it wall and stall i call it wall and maul i mean you saw what he did to jds both those times the second and third fight so it really comes down to you you have to take a guess of is francis going to catch him in the first couple minutes or not i fuck i don't know that's why we're all going to be tuning in right so shit i i am leaning kane man i really am like gut says kane takes over wins the long-term battle but Someone taking this shot on Ngannou, I completely understand because Kane does leave those openings. He has been KO'd stiff, and Francis hopefully will swing hard in the first couple minutes and try to get him out. So whichever one of those outcomes happens, I much respect to who gets it right. I have to lean with Kane because I think he does win the long-term battle, but 100% there's a chance for Ngannou to come out here and starch him. No, no questions asked. Well, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down for the very first time. UFC on ESPN. Kane Velasquez versus Francis Ngannou. How's it going, man? Great, man. Uh, looking forward to this start on ESPN. Hoping it's a profitable one. And uh, I like the card overall, so hopefully it's a fun one as well. I mean, let's get right down to business, man, because in the main event, you got Velasquez versus Ngannou, and it's, inter it's interesting because Velasquez is coming off the layoff, but you know with Ngannou, you saw the fight with Stipe, you saw what happens when wrestling comes into the, into the equation, so what I got to know, man, is do you think Ngannou can catch Velasquez in that first round and knock him out, or do you think he's going to get grinded up? Uh, yeah, I think he can catch anybody and knock anybody in the world out. Uh, but I think that's really his only shot. He's going to have to knock him out, and he's going to have to knock him out early, or else I think he has no shot. Um, I don't think Kane's going to want to stand with him too long, so I think he's going to be shooting for takedowns pretty early, and if he gets them, then Ngannou's in for a long night. The more times he gets taken down, the more tired he's going to get, and he's never seen a pace like Kane's going to set. So um, I think this is Kane's fight, and the only way he loses is in the first like six minutes. If he makes it out of, uh, if he doesn't knock him out in the first round, I think it's really until he gets taken down in the second round. Once that happens, I think it's over for him. Um, I don't see him lasting 25 minutes, so I do think this fight ends inside the distance. Either way, I'm going to take Kane by like a third round ground and pound TKO. But this is a, just a great fight to go all in on because I I don't see how the winner of this fight is not on the first place lineup. If Kane wins, it's going to be. Lots of takedowns, lots of punches on the ground. Over 100 points, I'm sure. Um, so that would probably put him on the optimal lineup at 9,000. And then Ngannou's only 7,200. If he wins, it's probably a round one knockout, which is going to be over 100 points. So this is just a great fight to target both sides on. If you're making 10 lineups, I'd probably go like 7 Kane, 3 Ngannou, something like that. But just a fight that should end up on that first place lineup. When Stipe fought in Ganu, you picked Stipe, and you said 
that Ngannou is going to take this L, but then he's going to come back and become a future world champion. Do you still think that he has what it takes to be a future world champion here a year later? Yeah, I do. I mean, he can knock out anybody. I just think this is a bad matchup for him. Same with, like, DC. DC, I, I think, would be a terrible matchup for him. But other than that, I think he can really knock out anybody on any night. I, I might even pick him over Stipe again if they fought just because we would have dog odds. So uh, that's really what was drawing me to Miosic was like the plus 1800 or whatever it was. I thought it was a lot closer to a 50-50 fight, if not uh, just slightly favored for Miosic because he just had more ways to win. And that's how I see this Kane fight as well. So yeah, Ngannou just has the strength, the power, uh, and the striking that he could beat everyone. I just think these big time wrestlers are bad matchup for him. In the co-main event, you got James Vick versus Paul Felder. Both guys need to rebound from their last uh, fights. Who do you think gets back on track here? I like Vick here. Um, I think the lines right now, when he was an underdog, I liked him more, but it flipped to where I, I thought the line should be. Um, I just think Vick's going to use his boxing and use that to get a three-round decision here. I think if this fight does hit the ground, it's probably Vick taking it there. But I, I think we're going to get 15 minutes of striking here. Um, probably a close, like 29-28 type of fight. I just think it's going to be the vo- the boxing that gets it done for Vic. He's going to be using that jab. He's going to frustrate Felder, and I see that getting it done. But Felder, I think, if this fight is going to end inside the distance, I think it's most likely Felder knocking out Vic. So, man, this one's tough for DraftKings. I'm kind of avoiding it with the lineups I've made so far, but I'm going to be making a lot more. I'm sure I'll throw both into lineups. But it's almost like I like Felder more for GPP because of that knockout potential. And then I like Vic more for cash because he's $200 cheaper. He's the favorite on the betting line now, and I am picking him to win. So I like that value there for cash games and then just the ceiling for Felder. So not a fight I'm loving for GPPs, but I do think Felder has the higher ceiling. Picks Vic, though. Cynthia Calvillo is taking on Courtney Casey, and I know Cynthia has been coming out here, tapping out a lot of the fighters that, that she's been facing. But here in Courtney Casey – Casey is a brown belt. Do you think that Cynthia is going to get this done inside the distance, or do you think it might go all three? I think it could go all three. Um, it just depends on how much Calvillo is willing to stand. I think the longer this fight's on the feet, I actually think better chance Casey has of even winning. But I, I don't see Calvillo wanting to stand long, and I think she'll be able to get takedowns almost at will here. So I think Calvillo's got to be the pick. Uh, it's just she is 90... 200 on DraftKings. So, I mean, I would really rather have Velasquez over Calvillo. It's just she is also going to be going for takedowns. She should get the win and she could even get a submission. So, I mean, it's not a bad price for her. It's just she's so damn expensive. And if she doesn't get the submission, I'm not sure if she's going to pay that off or not. Um, Casey, I think, is a decent punt if you do think it's going to go all three rounds, more so for like cash games. Because if she loses in a three round decision, we could take like 30 points in a loss. That'd be all right. Um, but GPPs, we're probably going to need six wins unless it's anything like last week when all favorites win. But I doubt that's going to be the case. So Calvillo's the pick. Uh, I think there are better plays in the 9K range. Uh, but she should get it done by submission or unanimous decision. Cron Gracie's making his debut against Alex Caceres. I think they set him up with Caceres for a reason. Uh, what's your take? Yeah, this is a gimme fight. Um, they were like, who can we 
get a for sure win with for his debut. And they're like, let's give him Caceres. He's been submitted six times. Uh, and he's not going to be a knockout artist on the feet either. So, yeah, this is just a perfect fight, I think, for Gracie. Uh, it's just a matter of time before he submits him, in my opinion. 9,300, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how high his ceiling is because I don't think he's going to be striking a whole lot. And when he does get it to the ground, I still don't think he's going to be striking much. He's going to be more advancing and trying to get that submission. So it could be like a real quick 95-point win if he just gets a takedown right away and then a submission. So... I don't think he has one of the highest ceilings on the card, but I do think he's one of the safest picks for a first-round finish. So I do like him. I'm probably going to be fading Caceres here. I really have uh, no interest in him at all. If he gets the knockout, my night will just be over early. Um, but that's a risk I'm willing to take. Go, Gracie. So Miles Jury is taking on Andre Feely, and a lot of people thought it should have been a pick That's why a lot of action has been coming in Andre Feely's way, but the books felt like it should have been uh, – Miles Jury two to one. So, what's your opinion, man? Now I think it's it's closer than a uh, to a pick'em than it is two to one jury. That's for sure. And on DraftKings, we get Feely at fourteen hundred dollars cheaper. So that makes me really lean towards Feely, and I'm I'm just gonna pick him to win more so in hopes <laughs> that he does because I'm not loving a lot of underdogs. He's one that I do think has a legit shot of winning. So I like him a good bit at $7,400. He helps us get those those Cain Velasquez and those Gracies and Calvillos into our lineups. So I'm cool with Feely here. And, I mean, Jury's just at 8800 There's so many better plays up there that I would rather reach up to the 9K range. So it's, it's making me pick Feely. I think he's going to be striking at a higher pace. If this fight hits the ground, I don't think there's a big edge either way. It could be Feely on top. Um, I doubt a submission happens. I doubt a uh, knockout happens. I think we're going to get three rounds here. That's another reason I like the underdog. Um, but yeah, 8800 I might just fade Jury because that's too high of a price tag with other guys that I like more in the 9K range. So yeah, the pick for me is just going to be Feely. Hopefully he comes through at that $7,400 price tag. So Rivera and Sterling are finally going to meet. It's been a long time coming. And interestingly enough, Sterling seems to be the popular underdog. I mean, the Lions went from plus 180 all the way down at plus 125. So I got to know, man, do you agree with the public? Do you think Aljamain is going to upset the perennial top five contender, Jimmy Rivera? No, my pick's Jimmy here. Uh, I think I think uh, Aljo has to get this fight to the ground in order to win. I, I don't see how he wins a striking decision against Rivera. Um, and, I, I mean, Rivera's got 100% takedown defense, so I don't know if he can get takedowns on Rivera. So that's what's... I'm I'm really stuck on picking Rivera. I was looking for dogs at the start. And I thought maybe I could go with Aljo here. Um, if he can get takedowns, he should have an edge on the ground. It's just it's going to be hard to get those takedowns. He might be stuck standing for 15 minutes. If that's the case, I have to lean with Rivera to pick up the decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. If you want to take a shot on Aljo here, 7900. Like I said, we do need underdogs. I don't hate that at all. I do think if there's going to be a finish on the feet, though, that it's more likely Rivera knocking. Aljo out so uh I, my pick's gonna be Rivera they're right there in that mid salary range so it's just an easy fight to put in your lineups I'm gonna have more Rivera but I'll take a few shots on Aljo as well so Manny Bermudez has taken on Benito Lopez and they got Manny Bermudez 9100 on DraftKings he's minus 200 at the betting window I honestly thought the fight should have been a pick em. uh do you agree with them? You think Manny's going to come out here and cover that uh, $9,100 salary? I, I think if he wins, he probably does cover it. I do think he probably picks up a submission along the way. 
I don't think it should be a pick and fight, but maybe minus 200 is a little bit too high. This is just a great fight to target overall, though, I think, for DraftKings. We got a minus 265 fight doesn't go to decision. Um, so I just think if this fight ends inside the distance, whoever does win has a good chance of being on that first place uh, lineup. And that's what I want. I want that first place $20,000 prize. So I'm, I'm going to be throwing both of these guys into a lot of lineups um, and giving me more chances to hit first. So my pick's going to be Bermudez. I do think he's going to get a submission, but Lopez is no joke. He's a stud. Um, we're hard-pressed to find underdogs again. He's one that has a high ceiling, so I like him a good bit as well. I'll probably land on him more than I would like to just because we need those cheap guys to get you know, those 9K fighters into our lineups. Um, so maybe the better pick is Lopez at that price, uh, but I'm still going to lean with Manny to get it done by submission. And last but not least, Andrea Lee is taking on Ashley Evans-Smith. And I think a lot of people might pass on this fight. But interestingly enough, Andrea Lee did score 97 points in her UFC debut. So I got to know, man. Do you think she repeats here? No, I mean, I think she gets a win here. But I don't see her getting 97 points. I think she will be a contrarian play, though. So if she does get 97 points and you have her, I don't think you're going to be competing with a ton of people um, who have her as well. So it could really boost you up ahead of people. I just would rather go with the underdog in this fight. Um, Evan Smith is going to be one of the one looking to grapple. If this fight stays standing, I think it's going to be Lee all day. But if Evan Smith can get takedowns, she can win this fight. And if she can win this fight with takedowns, she'll probably score decent as well on DraftKings. So if I was going to put this fight in my lineup, I'm taking the underdog. Um, again, help me get up to that 9K range. She's somebody that can help do it. Uh, I would rather have her. Probably won't land on too much Lee in my lineups. Might fade altogether. But I, I am picking her to win a decision. I just don't see her getting 10x that $8,900 price tag. And that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Kyle, it's going down this Sunday. I was going to say Saturday, but it's actually Sunday on ESPN. Obviously, they know your write-ups are available on bestfightpicks.com. And now, for the very first time, your bets are available on bestfightpicks.com as well. That's right, man. I've been crushing it. I've been crushing it too much that I felt wrong not giving it to the half the battle people who are listening. Uh, so now we got it on Best Fight Picks for the listeners. Go on there. Ride this heater. I've been killing it the last nine months. Um, 69 bucks this week. It's, it's higher than it usually is, but I got a max play. I'm feeling real good about it. Let's get this money. Yes, sir. Kyle's been on an absolute historic run, so definitely tail him at bestfightpicks.com. And uh, Kyle, we'll speak soon, man. All right, man. Good luck. Let's get it. Yes, sir. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC on ESPN? My fight to watch is Jimmy L. Rivera versus Aljamain Sterling. Look, both of these guys, at times have crossed the line in the trash-talking department, you know. Uh, it's been a lot of beef. Seems like they're, you know, fairly, you know, respectable now. But, you know, deep down... They had to get humbled deep to be down, respectful. Yeah, deep down, they either guy feels like they can't lose this fight, you know. I can't lose to Jimmy. I can't lose to Aljamain. So, Aljamain's been looking good lately. We'll see if he can keep it up. Uh, but that's a grudge match a long time in the making, man. They were supposed to fight in World Series back in the day. But then Aljamain got signed to the UFC you know, uh, we've seen the, the Twitter back and forth over the years. and the Wives getting involved. Wives getting involved. Girls getting involved. So 
now uh, they get to settle it, and someone might have to pay for their words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about Rivera versus Sterling for sure. I've been wanting to see that for years. For me, my fight to watch is Manny Bermudez versus Benito Lopez. You got two undefeated prospects. They've both been going out there, finishing fights in impressive fashion. Obviously, Benito Lopez with the flying kicks, Manny Bermudez with the triangle choke. So now they meet. Someone's got to take that first L. And for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Phoenix? My fighter to watch is going to be Vicente Luque. Luque, look, y'all are saying he's a top 10, top 15 guy. The way he the way he approaches this Barbarina fight is going to let us know where he's really at. Barbarina is that watermark test. You know, how you handle Barbarina is, uh, you know, we'll see where you stack up in the rest of the division. So we'll get to see if he's really a top 10 guy. Look, if he puts Barbarina down in the first then he's a top 15 guy because no one's done that, you know. So if he comes out here and gets a knockout, but we're going to see what he's really about because this is the guy that's uh, mentally tougher than all the guys he's fought and his chin's tougher than all the guys he's fought. So Vicente Luque, I'm going to keep an eye on him. I want to see how he handles it. Yeah, I mean, I can't recall the last time I missed a Vicente Luque or Brian Barberena fight, so I'm very intrigued to see what happens there for me. My fighter to watch is Francis Ngannou. This is the defining moment in his entire career. People might say the Stipe fight was. No, it wasn't. I'll tell you why. Because if he comes out here and knocks out Cain Velasquez, then I feel like his stock grows to that next level where people are saying, not only did he overcome adversity, you know, the whole shit that went down with Stipe, the Derek Lewis fight, everyone wrote him off, everyone thought he was just this big hype job, but then he comes back, knocks out Curtis Blades, potentially knocks out Cain Velasquez, then all of a sudden he's right back in line for another title shot, and if he goes out there and wins that belt, I mean, you remember when Dana White was saying shit like, doesn't he just look like the heavyweight champion of something? So, <laughs> I feel like uh, Francis can turn around his entire career with a win here, so for that reason... He is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Sunday on ESPN, man. Uh, I know there's been a couple prelims on ESPN, but now we get the full card on there. That's going to be incredible, man. I'm so excited that the sport has finally reached this level. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Thank you so much to every single person that supports us. We really appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.